Well, good morning. We are grateful to be together this morning and, and grateful for the opportunity to gather. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful and amazing things that are happening in the, the life of our church. Uh, you just heard a couple events coming up, and we're excited for Team Day. We're excited because not just giving you the opportunity to show your colors and show your excitement for your team, but the opportunity for us to be reminded that church is not just about coming and hearing some amazing worship or being inspired by some amazing word. But church is about us coming together as a community to make a difference in our community. It's about each and every one of us using our gifts and our talents and allowing God to work in and through us to bless people. And that's our our challenge to you today is that you would consider what God would have you do. You would consider how God would desire to use you, not just on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, but in your workplace and in your home and in various places that God has given you influence. And so we're going to take a look at that this coming week, and I'm excited for us to be challenged to that place of action where we don't just look at our walk with Christ as something we do, but truly following Jesus is who we are. And so please join us next Sunday for that. I know it'll be a, a wonderful and challenging uh, day for us. A couple quick, quick announcements uh, to, to go with what Carly had shared with us. Um, Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, Royal Family Kids, we have a fundraiser that we are partnering with Royal Family Kids for. Um, in the lobby, you probably saw the board there. Uh, we are pushing the envelope and we are partnering alongside of Royal Family Kids to bring uh, ministry to foster kids in our community such an important, important work that's being done to bless and love these kids, uh, many of whom come from very difficult situations. And so we'd ask for your partnership with that. Many of you grabbed envelopes on your way out last week. If you haven't been able to do that or you already filled yours up and you need another one, please go out there and grab those. Gretchen and I got ours, got it filled, and it's sitting in my wallet on my desk. So it will be turned in, Trisha, I promise. But we want to make sure we bless Royal Family Kids as they prepare uh, to relaunch camp this coming year. Our students this past weekend uh, were away at youth convention, a number of our, of our uh, youth students. And uh, it was truly an amazing time. We heard from our daughter um, about what God was doing in the midst of that gathering and the way that, that the students were challenged. We would ask you to continue to pray for our students this generation of students is not a generation that's, that's coming to change the world. They are changing the world. And as we pray and ask God to work through them and, and give them boldness and courage, we're going to see amazing things happen in our world. So please join us as we continue to pray God's plan and purpose for each one of our students. Well, we have come to the final week in our series, Christian Clichés. This has been an amazing series that I think that has really challenged um, every one of us in different ways, and we've really spent the last several weeks deconstructing the words and phrases that we often use and hear in church, and sometimes just in life, but oftentimes these phrases leave people confused or um, annoyed, sometimes even a bit hurt, and we really are desiring to kind of unpack these saying so that we can better understand what we're trying to say or the things that are trying to be said. You know, I'm hopeful this series has challenged you to revisit your, 
your core beliefs about God, about your faith, about salvation, and largely about our call to love people the way that Jesus did. I'm hopeful that it's awakened something in you that maybe had been laying dormant for years. You know, we've dissected a number of different sayings such as let go and let God. God will never give you more than you can handle. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. Everything happens for a reason. And last week, if you just have enough faith. The reality is these catchy little sayings make their way into our conversations and our interactions, offering sometimes a bit of a trivial response to the complexities of life. We'll be concluding our Christian cliche series today looking at a saying that, like many of the others, may or may not have a biblical founding or, or, or foundation, a scriptural basis, but most certainly has a level of spiritual complexity that we need to address. So how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that saying? God helps those who help themselves. I'm fairly sure we've probably all heard this one in passing or maybe you know, we were challenged by somebody. You, know, you just got to pick yourself up. You know? God helps those who help themselves. And if you're like me, Sometimes even as we verbalize something, we maybe go, I wonder where that came from. So why don't I read the parable of where this particular saying originated. And I'll let you decide whether this is biblical, scriptural, or not. Here we go. A wagoneer was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. He came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. And the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoner threw down his whip, knelt down, and prayed to Hercules, O oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. But Hercules appeared to him and said, Man, don't, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. Sounds pretty scriptural, right? Except for the, the Hercules part. That one kind of messed things up for us. Probably not hard. This one's not in the Bible, just in case you hadn't figured that one out. This is actually one of Aesop's fables, his famous fables. Ironically, the, the last line was, was taken up and, and popularized by quite a few other individuals, first of whom was Ben Franklin. It's, it, was, it became so popular that it continues to be part of our vernacular. And it's a very common saying, God helps those who help themselves. If anything were to sound like it comes from the Bible, it would, it would definitely be this one. The way that it's morphed over the years. The fact that it isn't in the Bible has not stopped people from believing that it is. It's interesting. There's been a couple more famous references more recently. In January of 2002, talk show host Bill O'Reilly was inter interviewing a New York City pastor about a homeless ministry. O'Reilly told the pastor, Jesus would have demanded that the homeless people shape themselves up or else. Because we all know the passage, the Lord helps those who help themselves. We all know the passage. It's right there in you know, the book of Second Opinions. 
And to be fair, no less of an authority than our own president made this same mistake. In a speech about a jobs bill, President Obama said, that's not putting people back to work. I trust in God, but God wants to see us help ourselves by putting people back to work. So we see this saying show up in some of the most unusual and maybe more ordinary places. The lesson we can learn here is don't get your Bible knowledge from politicians. You know, they're not the theologians of the day necessarily. While we can certainly forgive some of these honest mistakes when it comes to referencing Scripture, how do we grapple with the elements of our walk with Christ for which we're responsible and those to which we are called to believe and receive by faith? How do we reconcile this need to help ourselves, but also to walk by faith and trust God's plan and purpose for our lives? After all, we don't need somebody else telling us what the Bible says. We can and should figure that out for ourselves. We should open Scripture and, and, and be in the Word regularly, learning and understanding what God's promises say. And we shouldn't expect someone else to do for us what we can do for ourselves. Eventually, it's, it's not too much of a reach to begin thinking God does help those who help themselves. So let's go to Scripture today. See if we can gain a deeper understanding of what the Bible truly says. We have two stories that we're going to look at this morning. The first will be found in Luke chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you have your mobile devices, as always, you can look us up on the Uversion Bible app and you'll find our information there under Neighborhood Church, under Events. But starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 17... We see a familiar story of Jesus' ministry. It says, One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. So men carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him down before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. In another passage of Scripture, in John chapter 5, we see a similar story of, of Jesus' healing ministry take place starting in John 5, verse 1. It says, Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. 
Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we find ourselves in lifetime, in our life at times, being confused by the things that we we see in Scripture, sometimes the things that are said in conversation. And oftentimes, God, we need to understand truly what You are desiring to do in our lives. Desiring to understand how You desire for us to live our lives. And so, God, this morning, we we pray that You would help us. Father, by Your Spirit, that You would speak to our hearts. You would challenge us to understand what you're doing in the context of our lives, the context of this ministry, the context of our spheres of influence, Lord. We, we want to be used of you. So God, we thank you that you allow us to understand Scripture, that you provide these stories to help us to understand how to live our lives. pray that you'd help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we read these couple different passages of Scripture, we, we find Jesus teaching in a home first with a large crowd around Him. The crowd was so large that no one could get near Jesus. They were pressed in on all sides. And this man who was paralyzed is being carried by his friends. He's lowered down to Jesus in the midst of the crowd because there's no other way that they can get to Him. And then what happens? Jesus forgives his sin. Isn't it interesting that, that what, what doesn't happen first is the man is healed? Now, first, Jesus forgives his sin. I, I, I've always kind of thought it interesting that Jesus looks at the heart first and then begins the ministry of healing. And so many of these interactions that we see in Scripture, what, is, what does Jesus say? What do you need? What do you need from me? And then do you believe you can be healed? Do you believe that I can do what you're asking me to do? This other situation, the invalid is sitting next to the pool and he can't get down there. Everybody goes in front of him. Everybody runs into the pool before him and he can't receive the healing. And Jesus said, what what do you need? Get up and take your mat and walk. So where does this put us when it comes to the way that we live our lives? Does God truly help those who help themselves? Because we can most certainly see places in Scripture where initiative is encouraged, celebrated, and perhaps even a a source of correction. You need to get off your your duff and, and, and work. 
You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians brings a rebuke to many in the church because of their laziness. They believe the Gospel that Jesus is going to return. And so they just decide to put it on cruise control. We don't need to work. We don't need to do anything. We just need to wait for Jesus' return. And Paul says, no. No. We need to be busy. We need to be busy preaching the Gospel and serving people and loving people. He basically tells them to get off their keisters and get back to work. Stop mooching off their neighbors. I know we don't ever need that kind of a correction. So how do we balance our need to take responsibility for the things that we're able to do with trusting God with the things that are outside of our control? Beyond that, how do we best serve and bless those who are in need? Because you don't have to look very far to find people who are in need. And striving to understand the part that we play, we should consider some of the following realities. Dependence on God keeps us from an independence from God. Dependence on God keeps us from an independence from Him. Too often we start to live our lives and and sooner or later we just completely get independent from from our need of God. And we do everything outside in our own power. We do everything in our own strength. We can get so far outside the plan of God that we're just living and we're not truly dependent on God. We can never fall prey to the idea that God has set us on this earth to figure it out all ourselves. It's just not the reality. Otherwise, this was not, wouldn't have been given to us. We should always be striving to grow and to strengthen and to improve ourselves. But we should always remember for whom we rely on our ability to grow. Newsflash. I'm looking out and I see some pretty smart people. Pretty talented and gifted individuals. I could probably go on and on about people and your gifts and the amazing contributions that you make to our church and to our community and to your families and the people that you come in contact with, who do you think gave you those abilities? Who do you think breathed life into you so that you could go and share the Gospel? So that you could go and speak life and love into someone? Many strive hard to improve themselves in great ways. Organizations, exercise, time management, leadership, There's all these self-helps. It's interesting, the self-help movement really, really took off in the 1970s as people began to strive to better themselves in virtually every area of their life. You know, five steps to this. You know, ten ways to get your your dog to love you more. You know, and all these different different things. And we we began to see all these self-help gurus emerge. You know, it's... Interesting, not coincidentally, that's about the same time we started to see a decline in church attendance and participation. As people began to say, I can, I can fix me. I can change me. I can improve who I am. There was this self-reliance and I can do all this. I just got to kind of pick myself up 
by my bootstraps, and I'll be better. All of a sudden, people started to begin to move farther and farther away from their reliance and dependence on God. All of a sudden, it's kind of like, I don't really need to go to church. I can do everything myself. Me and God have an understanding. I don't need to be in church. I can watch it online or, I, or on TV. Convenience. Became Burger King Christianity. Have it your way. And all of a sudden, our dependence on God became something secondary. Because after all, God helps those who help themselves. There's a number of passages in Proverbs that challenge us to a different way of thinking. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust the Lord with what? Okay, that was as about as weak as it gets. I told you last week this was going to continue to be interactive. So, trust in the Lord with what? Oh my gosh, that felt good. Didn't that feel, didn't that feel good? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your ten steps to whatever it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 16.9 In their hearts, humans plan their course. But who establishes their steps? The Lord. Go ahead and make your plans. I applaud that. Sometimes I wish I was a little bit more planned in my life. And Gretchen will say a hearty amen to that. Thank you, David. <laughs> it's okay to make plans. It's okay to have hopes and dreams. It's okay for us to strive to better who we are, how we live our lives. But if we ever forget that God is the one who ordains our steps, we're going to be off course real quick. The Lord establishes our steps. And Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Yeah. Strive. Work. Do great things. And then submit those things to the Lord. And then say, God, this is Your plan, not mine. You know, there's many of these myths of self-improvement that have been exposed over the years. The underlying beliefs, though, they still linger. We innately want to see people pick themselves up and fix their situations. We want to see people take initiative. It's like the joke about the guy who walks into a bookstore and asks for the self-help section. To which the clerk responds, well, if I told you, that would defeat the purpose. Interestingly, all of the self-help books and seminars that exist have as their subject one of our favorite things in the world. Us. You ever thought about that? Self-help. What is it? The root and the core of self-help. Me! 
And too often we get our eyes focused on our me needs. What do I want? What do I want? need? As soon as we begin to believe there's no limit to what we can achieve and accomplish as people, then we begin to cease to believe that we need God. We need to remember our reliance and our dependence on God is what moves us forward in our journey of faith and life. It's not just what you can accomplish. It's not just what you can do on your own. It's what God is desiring to do through you and in you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace. It's not because you were awesome. It's not because you have the best smile in the room. It's not because you tease your hair up just right and you use that product that makes it kind of stand up and look really hip and cool. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that none of us can boast. I can't boast in what I do or what I say or who I am. It's only by the grace of God that I stand before you. It's only by the grace of God that any one of us has the right to breathe our next breath. got to come back to that place of a dependence on God so that we don't separate ourselves thinking that we've got it all figured out and become independent from Him. Second thing is this. God calls us to be a community of inner dependence. God's called us to community. That means we depend on one another. That means not only are we not independent from God, we have to be interdependent. The devil's best plan for your life is for you to isolate yourself. His greatest desire is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And that is best accomplished when we separate ourselves, when we become independent, when we become separated and isolated. Because the lies begin to take root. Nobody really likes you anyway. You really have nothing to contribute. You only hurt people no matter where you go. Or you really shouldn't go back to that church because all those people are hypocritical anyways. Well, yeah. We're all a bunch of imperfect people. Hello? You want to know why people don't like hypocrites? Because they're arrogant. They're arrogant enough to think that they're okay. But if we can live our lives in an understanding of our brokenness and our depravity before God and understand our need of Him, well, that's something that's humbling. People can say, I can respect that. That you're just like me. You're, you're, you're just trying to do better. But we got a little secret. The Spirit of God at work in us. God calls us to be a community of inter- interdependence. There's another temptation when it, when it comes to a saying such as, God helps those who help themselves. It's to somehow look down on those in society who struggle to help themselves. Who struggle to make ends meet. 
You know, every one of us can think of those self-inflicted hardships that we've endured or that that we've brought brought upon ourselves. Perhaps we've even watched the, the decisions of other people impact their lives negatively. This may cause us to want to judge people. We look around and we go, oh, you know, guy's sitting on the corner, yeah. He probably made some poor decisions in his life. I don't think it's probably my job to help him. He maybe needs to help himself. It's the picture in the Bible when disciples look at the man who was blind from birth and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the reality is God's desire was to glorify Himself through the healing of that man. Nothing that He had done had caused His blindness. Somehow we tend to look at people that way. Uh, Well, that's unfortunate. We use wonderful little words that make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. The reality is, it's not those in society who are on food stamps, disability, or or welfare who use this phrase. It's oftentimes those people who have arrived, or so they think, who say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Right? When we're in the struggle, when we're in the hardship, when life's hitting us from every side, do we want to hear somebody say, well, God helps those who help themselves? Just, you know. No. You're like, I want to, I'm going to help, I'm going to help you to the ground. At times, we tend to kid ourselves believing that we didn't have any help to get to where we are in life. That nobody came alongside of us. That we're self-made. Right? But every one of us has the fingerprints of others in our journey of life. Every one of us has those people who've come alongside of us to strengthen us. A door of opportunity that's been opened. Someone who believed in us when we, we didn't believe in ourselves. Someone who was willing to give us a, a good reference. You know, I can think of and, and, and name off numerous people, but just the people that, that come to mind for me in my life, my mom and dad. I wouldn't be here, obviously, wouldn't be here if it weren't for my mom and dad. There's a biological component there, but you know. But my wife Gretchen, my friend Bruce, Bill Mashmeyer, Scott Erickson, Kelly DeFour, Stan Russell, Tom Heiler, Brian Eno, Bill Wilson. There's so many people who have impacted and influenced my life in so many ways. And I would not be standing here today had it not been for them. For the work of God somehow, some way, through them to impact and influence me. And I could probably come up with countless others. The older I get, the less I know. I don't know about you, but every year that ticks by, I feel like, man, I, lo- I know less and less and less. And I just come to that place of st- staying humble, saying, God, just help me not to make a fool of myself. It's the love and confidence of the community around each and every one of us that helps us to step into God's plan. It's that community of interdependence 
The biggest problem with the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is that it doesn't acknowledge the interdependence we have on the community around us. It doesn't acknowledge our need to link arms and to come together and to lift one another. So let's go back to our main text to see what Jesus says about those who seemingly can't help themselves. In the first story, a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus for healing by his four friends whom Jesus commends for their faith. He looks at them. They lower the guy down. He says, your sins are forgiven. Then he heals them. And he's looking at them and he commends them for their faith. The second story, a man lying by a pool keeps trying to get into the water to be healed, but those around him keep pushing him aside so he can't get in first. Neither of these guys are told, do something for yourself and then I'll meet your need. Then I'll help you. But you need to help yourself first. Jesus sees their need and He meets it. Jesus sees where they're at and He comes to them. From the beginning, we see that God has created us to be in community. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the living creatures that move about the ground. God was in community with the Son and the Holy Spirit in the creative process. And then from there, He breathed life into community. He ordained community. God created humanity to be in relationship. And even when we sinned, God didn't give up on us. He instead made a way back to relationship with Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as the the church grows, the interdependent community should also grow. We see this model in the church of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Just the ones helping themselves? No, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You want to know how the church grows? We're willing to see people in need. We're willing to reach out without strings attached. You want to see the kingdom of God grow? Reach out to that person who's sitting on the side of the road or who's calling and saying, I need your help. Here's a new idea. I tend to believe that when we help people with no strings attached, God takes care of what people 
do after that. Have you ever caught yourself in a situation where you see somebody who's got the sign up or they, they come and they say, can you, can, you, can you spare a few bucks? And you, go, you look them up and down and you go, yeah, I know what you're going to do with that. Has it ever occurred that God has given us an opportunity to reach people, to love people, to serve people, and it's up to Him what happens after we do? Maybe make a game out of it. Hey, do you have a few bucks that you could spare? Actually, I do. Can I pray for you first? Can I share my story with you? Because that was where you were once. This is what God did in my life. I don't know. Maybe God's putting on a silver platter an opportunity for us to really truly love somebody. We've got to be willing to be in that community of interdependence. Final thought is this, as the worship team comes back, we prepare to close. God helps those who help others. Can we just change the saying? I didn't coin it. I'm not saying we need to change Aesop's fables. I'm sure there's some, probably some copyright infringement there I, I should be aware of. But maybe we start saying God helps those who help others. God helps those who come alongside and love people. I truly contend we should change this saying to reflect the heart of God, to help others every chance we get. Because I believe that God helps us to help others. He gives you the strength. He gives you the resources. He gives you a little extra time. He gives you a detour on the road. Oh, you needed me to go grab a some milk, babe? Okay, I'll go over and I'll grab the milk. And, the, and then there, there he is. There's the man. There's the, there's the woman. There's the single mom who's got another week of month left and, 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 and doesn't have that much in the, in the bank account. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we... You see us, we, we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and, and give you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in sick, sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. have to give? What do you have to offer? It's an interesting in Scripture. Anytime Jesus was, was preparing to do something big, what do you need? What do you have? Jesus gets done teaching. There's 5,000 men and all the, the, the women and children to boot. 
countless people spread out all over the place. They're hungry. Disciples say, send them away, send them away, send them away. No, you feed them. Probably would have been a little bit of a panic moment if we were one of the disciples. They say, what do you have? The boy, five loaves and two fish. What do you have in your hand? Five loaves, two fish. Probably not going to go very far. God said, I can take care of it. I got you. We've seen countless stories in Scripture where it wasn't about a dose of self-help or individualism. It was all about allowing God to work through someone's obedience and willingness to give of themselves. That was the activating force. Can God do anything? Yeah, 100%. Is God sometimes waiting for us to step out in faith? To allow ourselves to be used? Because there's no denying we're responsible for our own actions and decisions. But we should also acknowledge the essential role others play in helping us. It's people that have blessed our lives. Because as followers of Jesus, our greatest calling is to help other people. What is the commandment? Love God. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the reality. We're called to help others whether they can help themselves or not. God's relational and loving characteristics are embodied in our willingness to help people. Knowing that in doing so, He's glorified. When we serve on God's behalf, it points people to Him. At the end of the day, the Scripture says it best. When we served them, we served God. Question is, what are we waiting for? Pastor Francis Chan puts it well. He says, Most of us use, I'm waiting for God to reveal his calling on my life as a means of avoiding action. Did you hear God calling you to sit in front of the television yesterday? Or to go to your, on your last vacation? Or, or to exercise this morning? Probably not, but you still did it. The point isn't that vacations or exercise are wrong, but that we are quick to rationalize our entertainment and priorities, yet are slow to commit to serving God. Where are our priorities this morning? Are we willing to step out seeing the value in people? Seeing everyone that we see and pass by every day as a child of God? Let's make the commitment today to allow God to help us as we strive daily to help others. After all, God helps those who choose to help others. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning, we find ourselves in this place where we're being challenged to step outside of a place of rational behavior where we look at somebody and say, well, I don't know, I don't know. 
They don't look right. I don't know if I should help. Jesus, there wasn't conditions when you healed people. There wasn't conditions when you went to have lunch with people. There wasn't conditions when you delivered people from demonic oppression. He simply asked the question, what do you need? Father God, that's our greatest prayer and desire is that we could walk with that same level of obedience to say, what do you need today? So we submit ourselves to your will and to your plan and to your purpose. Father, that you would see fit to work through us and in us each and every day to accomplish your perfect will in this world. Give us boldness and courage. Allow us the ability not just to see the need, but to come alongside of it with a heart of openness of what you might do in the midst of that interaction, what you might do in the midst of that moment you've ordained. Father, we thank you that you accomplish your will through imperfect people. Your perfect will through imperfect people. It's the greatest miracle of your love. That you would use us to reach those that you love. Help us, Father, we ask. This morning, if you are here and you've not made a decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You've not stepped into that relationship with Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity to say yes to God. To say yes to a life of purpose. So this morning, we're going to ask you to say a prayer with us. Scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through in life, God is calling you to Himself. He's desiring to meet you where you are. Would you say this prayer with us today and believe it in your heart? Church, can we say this together so that we don't embarrass anybody or single them out? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've made an amazing decision this morning and we want to partner with you in this new direction in your life. You've made a decision to follow Jesus this morning. We'd ask you to grab one of the connection cards in the seat. Just fill it out. Say, I chose to follow Jesus. Drop it in the box. We'd like to get in touch with you. Get you a Bible.
take those next steps with you. If you have a prayer need this morning, our prayer team is available to you following the service. We'd like to come alongside and believe with you for God's breakthrough in your life. I don't know about you, but I get pretty excited when I start to think about what God is doing in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church. So as we go out of this place, let's stop looking down on those who seemingly can't help themselves. And let's perhaps look for an opportunity for us to come alongside of them and allow God to use us to help them and bless them and love them today. I'm really excited about next week. We're going to come together. We're going to celebrate team. We're going to celebrate what God is desiring to do through each one of us. We encourage you to be here. We encourage you to come ready. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. So if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're saying, well, it's my time to just enjoy the fruits of my labor. Wrong. God's got good things in store for you and He wants to use you to bless people. So as we go out of this place, as we say every week, let's be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have an amazing week.